honestly, I want to be part of the group of people that change the educational paradigm. And I think having a significant number of people bankrupt debt that they're not going to be able to pay is going to pull the plug on that flood of money that is coming into education of dubious value. As a young mother, I experienced a paradigm shift that transformed how I saw education and ultimately the world around me. I started this podcast, The Luminous Mind, to connect with and learn from people who are disrupting the status quo in how they learn, educate, and live in the world around them. Prepare for a paradigm shift. Light a candle. Light your world. Benjamin Franklin said, instead of cursing the darkness, light a candle. You're listening to The Luminous Mind with your host, Rebecca Bowman. Today's fire starter is Rose McConnell. Rose is an AB-rated attorney practicing in Atlanta, Georgia. She's the author of the forthcoming book, Shun Student Loans, which explains the risks and costs of student loans and analysis of educational alternatives. She's also a podcaster at Fit.Institute, a podcast discussing how individuals can learn to manage and or bankrupt their student loans. Welcome, Rose. Thank you, Rebecca. It's good to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited to hear how we can bankrupt our student loans because I didn't think that was possible. But before we learn more about you and your book and podcast, please tell us a little bit more about yourself. Well, as you mentioned, I'm an attorney and I've been practicing for decades. So I am much older than your normal podcaster and person <laughs> working in the, in this media. And I realized that if I wanted to reach young people and reach students, that it's really important that I talk in this media. I mean, that that I have a book. I think the book is very useful. I think the book has a lot of great information. It's actually focused on teenagers and, and their parents. But I know that if I'm going to be reaching teens and talking with people and, and young people about debt and college debt particularly, that I need to use another form of media. Yeah. And podcasting is a great way to reach people for sure. So what about your family and hobbies and stuff like that? I have a 28 year old son who is just a wonderful, young, responsible, handsome, employed <laughs> man. He's smart. He's nice to his mother. He just he's got it all going on as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> and he's a teacher here in the Atlanta public school system. Oh, so I'm I'm very I'm a very proud mom. I don't think that a parent could ask for more in a I can't call it a child anymore. He's my child, but <laughs> he's a wonderful young person. That's great. I have a great rescue dog that I've had for 10 years and live, you know, people talk about living in Atlanta and they mean they live somewhere in the greater metropolitan area. I actually live in Atlanta. Oh, wow. That's neat. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I just want to hear some background of what led you to your life's mission and message. You mentioned that you're a slightly older, uh, you know, let's see, more experienced. Let's just put it that way. Oh, let's do that. (laughs) I like that word. (laughs) I'm a little more experienced for this medium, too. But anyway, and, you know, it's kind of a different uh, thing for you to talk about. Um, Sometimes the young kids and stuff, they come out of college and they have a little bit of resentment about how much student loans they had. But, you know, give us your background to that of how you came to really wanting to to go in this direction. Well, my practice area was always in, in commercial transactions. And so I was used to clients taking on debt and managing debt. And and I had a pretty good understanding of of loan amortization and what it took to pay off loans and how interest rates were calculated and then that sort of thing. And I went through the 2008 financial crisis and just, just watched things both explode and melt down in a way that I have to say, I didn't know personally anybody anticipated that was going to happen. I was doing a lot of commercial real estate. I, all, all of my clients, and I mean, a hundred percent of my clients either declared bankruptcy or stopped doing anything. And at the same time, my retirement portfolio, because as a private practicing attorney, you don't have, you know, a pension, you have your savings and my retirement portfolio took a huge hit. And, and I, I mean, a huge hit, it was like a 40% decline. Wow. And I, and I met with my investment advisor afterwards and he, 
at some point during the course of the meeting, picked up a sheaf of paper off, off his desk and kind of shook it at me and said, well, this is all your fault. And, and for the life of me, Whoa. I did not know what he meant. It was like, okay, we just had the biggest financial meltdown in the history of the country since the, you know, the Great Depression. And and what is about that that is all my fault? I really oh my goodness, to, yeah. And so I came from this point in 2008 of just really being blindsided by the sort of the financial situation. And I got really, really curious about what happened here. We were all rocking along. People were making money. People were building hotels and medical centers, apartment buildings, and everybody was rocking along. And this thing just exploded. And and the more I looked at it, the more curious I got about this situation. And I, I just I began to to understand that how it was really to the advantage of banks to make loans when those loans were government guaranteed, especially if you look at like Fannie Mae, they were making a tremendous amount of loans that had implicit government guarantee. Well, they they were giving loans to people who who basically shouldn't have had a loan, right? I mean, they they didn't prove themselves as good creditors in the first place. That's correct. Yeah. And, and, and I saw that happening and I just, you know, sort of put on my thinking cap about that. And then as my son, who's now 28, was entering college, I started to talk with him and his friends. And of course, I was paying my son's undergraduate tuition. He didn't pay that himself and didn't take out loans as an undergraduate. But I could tell from talking with his friends that they had no conception of what it meant to repay debt or to calculate an interest rate on loan or to think about terms of, you know, what an opportunity cost was. None of these things that you know and understand when you work in business were any kind of concepts that young people had. And as I started to talk with them about that, that sort of the depth of their naivety became increasingly apparent to me. And then in 2016, I had to to leave a job. I actually got quite sick and I'd been getting sick for some time. And I, I left a job and pretty much just stopped working in, in 2016. And I didn't have a lot of energy to do anything, but I thought, well, I'm going to work on this book about student loans because I can work on it at my own pace. And it is something that's interesting to me. And it is something that I think I have a contribution to make because nobody is really talking about, you know, what does this really cost? What does it really mean to, quote unquote, amortize a loan and to repay it? And what happens if you don't repay it? And and to try to write that at a level in a conversational way that sort of a lay person can read and understand and think about that. And so that's kind of what motivated me to get into that. I was looking for a project that I could do on whatever schedule that I wanted. And this was something that I intrinsically had an interest in. And it was sort of a gap that I saw is that everybody's kind of what's the lack of a better word here, sort of channeling. Yeah. yeah, And they're being channeled into this one path. Mm -hmm. You know, they're, they're high school guidance counselors, they're teachers, their parents, their ministers, they're all the relatives are saying, yes, go to college, go to college, go to college. And nobody's really talking about what this is really going to cost. And I thought, well, you need, we've got to have some information about what this really is going to cost because the chickens will come home to roost on that debt. And to the extent that anybody can realize that they have alternatives besides taking on, I mean, in 2016, the average amount of debt with people uh, graduating from college was $37,000. Wow. That's more than most will come out making, you know, when when they come out of school. So, well, I think you're very timely about the student loan because I've actually heard that's going to be the next bubble that's going to break because there's a huge percentage, uh, 40 to 50 percent, that isn't being repaid right now because the students just can't afford to make the payments. I mean, what's your analysis on that? I mean, do you do you feel that coming up that we're going to see this big bubble economic crash because of our student loan situation? I don't I don't 
don't know that the, there's going to be an, an economic crash b- because of the student loan situation. This is $1.3 trillion. So it is, I mean, it is a substantial amount of debt. Uh, and you're right, roughly half of that debt is in default. The majority of the people who are in default never even graduated from college, but 20% of the people who are in default did graduate. So even having a degree doesn't, yeah, you know, immunize you from not from being unable to pay that. There's some great resources out there for people about how to get a handle on their debt. I think Dave Ramsey's work is excellent. I think the work at Student Loan Hero is is really good. But the truth of the matter is, is that there are people, and there's, I think, a significant number of people who are not going to be able to repay that debt. I think to the extent that they're under the impression that debt is just going to be forgiven is a mistake. I don't, I don't think that that's what's going to happen. There isn't any evidence that that's that that's what's going to happen. And yeah, well, and know, our U.S. I, I, government I would, is already what seventeen trillion dollars in debt. I mean, how do twenty one trillion? Yeah. Oh uh, wow. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> it's going yeah, faster it, than I can keep up with <laughs> for sure. Yes, so. it is. Yes, it is. So, and so I don't think that that is the likely outcome. And frankly, I don't think that simply forgiving all that debt is the appropriate outcome. There are families who took out these student loans because it was a way of deferring interest. I mean, if you got the the government guaranteed loans, they were interest free while your child was in college. So this is essentially free money. It's well, it's actually taxpayer subsidized money, but (laughs) let's just say that it's, you know, it's free money while your child is in college. There's no reason that those people should have their loan forgiven. There are students who made no effort to use their student loans for educational purposes. I'm not a, a person who says, well, everybody's debt should be forgiven. I, I also am not a person who says that people should be debt slaves and have no prospect of ever repaying their debt. And that's why I think that the bankruptcy process is the appropriate process for people who are unable to pay their debt, for the people who could, with serious application, repay their debt. I think that it's going to be easier than bankruptcy if you can with serious application repay your debt then by all means go out and do it but if you can't don't let it just lay there with the vain hope that please dear god let it go away because i don't think that's what's going the outcome will be well once again i mean we talked about government subsidized loans in fannie mae freddie mac um, and, you know, they weren't qualifying good creditors. I mean, they were just letting anybody get a loan on houses. I remember President Bush was actually bragging about how many people had homes, but we didn't realize at the time that they were people who probably should not have had those, you know, we put them in a huge uh, risk just because they weren't ready for that. And it's the same thing with students. Um, we're qualifying students through these government subsidized loans to be able to have this you know, be able to go to college. But yet, if if this was a regular banking institute and could look at the student with a critical eye and say, how likely is the student to finish? Because you are absolutely right. A lot of the reason why they can't repay the loan is because they haven't finished the education. You know, the debt takes mm-hmm. over. The debt takes over their life. I mean, whether it be credit card debt or student loan debt or whatever. And then the student has to stop going to school and go back to work. I mean, and, but and it's, it's, it is true of their parents too. I mean, the, you know, with the so-called parent plus loans, which used to be yeah. devoted only to undergraduates, but they are in fact designed to loan money to poor credit risks. And so not only does the student go into debt to go to college, but their parents go into debt to go to college and the colleges expect that the parents will go in to debt for the student to go to college. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the colleges, all the colleges have what's called the expected family contribution. And you'll see it abbreviated the EFC. And so they say these loans are available to parents. And these loans are available to you without regard to your ability to repay the loan. So we are going to expect you to take out this loan. Yeah. And I I think one of the problems is I don't want to just blame the banks. I mean, I have talked to financial aid officers and colleges are in the business of extracting the maximum amount of cash that they can from families. Yeah. And that's kind of a unkind way to put it, but it's, 
it's the truth. They can charge whatever they want because they know that students have access to these loans, correct? That, that that's that, that's right. And what they do, I mean, if you look at like Pell Grants, which I think doubled twice under the Obama administration, they went out just just a humongous amount. And this is is free money for the colleges. Well, the colleges simply use that as like found money and then they raise the tuition on top of that. Yeah. So that huge increase in the uh, in the amount of Pell Grants didn't serve to reduce the actual cost to the students going to college. And it, it just served as a new baseline for, well, we get all of this money from Pell Grants and then we're going to get this additional money from loans and tuition. Yeah. And, yeah. So. <laughs> well, I think I think we've done a great job kind of giving some background to, you know, the problem that's out there with student loans mm-hmm. and student debt and stuff like that. I'd love to hear um, about FIT.Institute. You were telling me mm-hmm. before we start recording what that acronym stands for and then what you're doing at that website. Right. And one of the things that we're going to be doing there is we're going to be talking about the financial aid letters that people get, because these are very complex letters. And I don't think people typically understand the terms on which they're being offered. And so we'll spend some time on a podcast. And this is a topic that's addressed in some detail in my book too, Sean Student Loans is really understanding what does your financial aid letter say and what are you obligated to do because the letters aren't consistent between the colleges and sometimes uh, loans and grants are treated the same and it's hard to distinguish when you're reading the letter which is which. Uh, Sometimes your scholarship money is used to offset the the net cost that is stated due from you. And so you may read that and think, oh my great, this is great because I've got all this scholarship money, but the college has already taken that into account. So one of the things we're going to do is spend some time talking about financial aid letters and, and understanding this because people shouldn't be signing and accepting loan terms that they do not understand. And I think that happens all too frequently. Well, I can, I mean, I just signed a loan on a house and I, <laughs> and there's very little in it that I'm like, I totally get this, you know, understand it <laughs> anyway. So yeah, I'm right there with right. you. Yeah. Right. I think that's true. And then another thing that, that I want to spend some, some time talking with people about and interviewing some lawyers about is sort of the, sort of the going forward risk, because as I have said, people aren't just going to forget about this. That's not what happens with loans and creditors. They don't just say, oh, well, you know, they did their best, but now they're not paying me. (laughs) That's not not the way that works. And, and I, so I think that to bringing some consciousness about what uh, the rights are, the federal government to seize your tax refund. If you're a parent in default of a parent plus loan to offset your social security, to understand some of the risk attended upon that and to understand some of the things that, you know, that you shouldn't do as a borrower. I mean, borrowers do things and make them their, their situation much worse. As we all know, in the United States, we don't have debtors prisons, but borrowers do sign consent decrees so that because they get scared and they say, oh, well, yeah, I'll just enter this consent decree with the with the, the creditor. Well, you have now turned what was a bad debt into a contempt proceeding and you can't go to jail for contempt of court. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's a lot of sort of traps from the for the unwary that I want to go through to 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 raise people's consciousness about some of the issues out there that, uh, as I say, they, that not only can your wages be garnished, but as I say, the federal government can seize both income tax refunds and so and parts of Social Security checks, and you can make your situation dramatically worse. And then, of course, the ultimate thing, though, that I'm going to communicate to people is, is if you take appropriate action, there is actually a path in which those people who truly cannot repay their student loan debt do have an avenue for bankrupting student loan debt. See, and I and that, didn't know that. I thought that all student loan was, you know, unable to be bankrupt, you know. Yeah. And, th- and you know, that was me too. And that was the most surprising part of all of this research that I was doing when I was researching Shun student loans. And I ran across this in a bankruptcy journal and I thought, well, that can't be right. 
I've always heard you can't bankrupt student loan debt. And, and, but here it was in this academic article. And so I started reading up on this and I realized, oh my goodness, people are writing journal articles about this and people are actually doing this. And the truth is, is you can't bankrupt student loan debt by the same process that you bankrupt ordinary consumer debt. You, you have to file within your chapter seven or chapter 13 proceeding, you have to file a separate thing called an adversary proceeding. And it's handled separately with the Department of Education through the bankruptcy. Well, it's, it's separately, it's part of the bankruptcy, but it's also a separate proceeding because it's not just the trustee who's making a decision about this. You're also having to work with the Department of Education. But the truth is, is that people are able to successfully bankrupt student loan debt through this adversary proceeding. And wow. that that is what they're not going to be able to find a lawyer to help them probably because they're not going to be able to pay the legal fees that would be required to do this. But my ultimate goal is to have an online course that teaches people this is what you need. These are the steps that you need to take. Wow, this you're is- going to become a millionaire with that for sure. <laughs> 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 well, awesome. there are there are right now there's I think 1.2 million people who file for bankruptcy every year, roughly file a personal bankruptcy. Of those 600,000 of them have student loan debt. Every one of those 600,000 people should be attempting to bankrupt their student loans. Yeah. Every single one of them. That's 600,000 people right now, and and people go through this proceeding. They ruin their credit. They have all the pain of going through bankruptcy, and they don't even. Get rid They'll of a be, big chunk of yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen yeah. it. I've seen it more times than than not, for sure. So, well, mm-hmm. and you also just, we talked about in your bio, you know, we ex, you're going to explain the risks and costs of student loans, but you're going to also analyze um, educational alternatives. What do you mean by that? What are some educational alternatives that you'll analyze? Well, there's, I mean, this is the great thing. And, and this is something that I really and I'm, I'm not completely sure where I'm going to handle that, whether that's going to be just a, a blog post or I'm going to be interviewing people about that. But you have probably heard of the wonderful guys over at uh, Praxis. Ah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Love the guys at Praxis with their year-long internship, pace, placing people directly out of high school into startup companies, real jobs, real income. That's a great one. Love the work that's being done at Mission U. They just got started. I think they're yeah. doing their first class yeah. this year. He's the owner of Pencils of Promise, and it's the same type of story that his wife had a ton of student loan debt, and he wanted to make sure that other people didn't come out of school with that, correct? Is that That's that the guy. Yeah. 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 I think that's great. I think Mike Rowe is doing wonderful work spreading the information and news about all the wonderful jobs that are available in the trades. I mean, you were probably a nerd. I was probably a nerd. I was one of those people. I mean, as I say, when I got sick, what did I want to do? Well, I want to read books on finance and education and, 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 <laughs> and economics. You know, that's what I want to do with my free time. I'm a nerdy kind of person. I am. And I always kind of have been, but not everybody is. Some people really like working with their hands. Some people don't belong in college. Some people are would be great welders. My brother-in-law, who's now deceased, was an iron worker. And he built just the most amazing projects in, in New York. He actually was the project manager for the Roosevelt Island Tramway. You wow. know, the yeah. that appears in the Spider-Man movie, that sort of thing. He, well, of course, he's older and he's deceased now. But he had, uh, he had no college education. And my point is, is that you can rise up in in the trades and do significant, important, meaningful, fun work. Well, and some of those, um, because they're such in high demand, um, that you're coming out of trade jobs or coming out of trade school with jobs that are way higher paying, I mean, much better jobs than what a lot of kids are even coming out of college getting because they, they're needed. You know, these are jobs that, and, and sadly, we kind of, every school discounts, you know, what kids can do in the trades, for sure. I, I Yeah, and you know, I talk with my son about that, and I, 
I see, I came out of a blue collar family and my father was an electrician and a farmer and my family was farmers as far back as you go on both sides. So I never get this. I never get why being in the trades or being in agriculture is supposed to be less than. Yeah. I mean, as I say, I had a particularly nerdy bent and so that, that worked for me, but I've known really intelligent, competent, fun, great people who worked in the trades. As I say, my brother-in-law was, was one of those people. And I mean, he had just this incredible series of buildings and projects that he could work on that you were landmark around the United States. And it's like, that's worth a lot. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's, uh, I love Mike Rowe's story because that's where he's going with that. I mean, he remembers being a, I mean, he has the different posters, you know, of what was hanging in the guidance counselor's office, you know, of like work, work smarter, not harder. And it shows this guy that, you know, kind of, um, he's a college graduate and he's almost stepping on the, the tradesman's, uh, you know, they're looking all downcast and whatever. And he's kind of, <laughs> anyway, I love that idea. And he mm-hmm. created a different poster because he actually had the other experience because his dad, his grandpa was a plumber or something. And I may, I may have to post that <laughs> in your show notes so people can see for sure. But I mean, it's, it's one though, it's a real um, thing anymore that kids can do so much better in the trades and it might be exactly what they're needing for their own personal life and mission. I mean, to do something like that instead of absolutely. Go to, go to college. Yeah. And, and of For course, sure. too, there's a lot of employers that offer significant tuition assistance. And I think for anybody who who is needing assistance, they should be talking to their employer about that. I mean, Amazon has a wonderful tuition assistance program. Chick-fil-A has a wonderful tuition assistance program. Most hospitals have a tuition assistance program if you're looking to go into the nursing field or, or working in a in a hospital setting. And so there are ways that people can, if they don't have the money in hand and, they, and they're concerned about taking out loans, and they should be, they should be talking to their employer about what the opportunities are with their employer for tuition assistance because there are, I think Starbucks has a very good tuition. Yeah, Starbucks. The barista company, yes, (laughs) Yes, they have a good tuition assistance program, especially for people who need sort of that remedial level of work and um, community college level of work. Starbucks has some great offerings, and I think nobody should spend one tuition dollar on remedial work. That is a big mistake to spend any loan funds on remedial work at the college level. All of that should be done in advance of going through college, either through online programs or through an employer paid program, but don't use up your college tuition dollars doing remedial education work. Mm-hmm. Well, and one of my favorite questions, and the thing that I love to ask people is how do you feel like your paradigm has changed over time and with experience? Well, the biggest shift for me was this realization that it was possible to bankrupt student loan debt. And when I realized that, and in coming out of a practice background, I understand why lawyers are not doing that and they're not promoting that because it's going to require um, a significant amount of methodical work that I think is beautifully available to people in an online training program because it's really can be broken down into steps. You know, do this, gather this information. That's going to allow you to do this. File this piece of paper that looks like this. You know, then this will happen, this sort of thing. But for lawyers, if you're dealing with someone who's already bankrupt or needs to file for bankruptcy, the amount of work that a lawyer would have to spend on this is actually relatively significant. And so there's no way for for them to do this. For most people, there's no way for them to do that profitably. And so that's just not the avenue. That's not the path that that's, that problem is going to be solved. And I think that my experience as a lawyer and my understanding that, you know, lawyers have to make a living too. Mm-hmm. I understand why they're not promoting this as a service to people. But what I have learned is this is a perfect opportunity to use these platforms that we now have available to us to train people how to handle this themselves. 
And that is something, you know, for my generation, I, I tell people, you know, back in the day, we went to the library, we pulled books down off shelves, and we made notes on note cards with <laughs> pens. You know, that's how we learn things. And and I think a lot of lawyers come out of that background, certainly, you know, I think that's, it's yeah, it's not uncommon. And so this idea that we can, then we can create platforms to train people how to solve their own problems that we can't solve efficiently for them. I think that's a new, that's a real paradigm shift that yeah. we're going to start. We're going to start seeing some of that in these, in these sorts of areas where people really need to be able to help themselves. Um, and this is the one that I, you know, I've encountered, but I bet you there are others out there. And yeah. I, I think that's going to be a, a game changer. Yeah. Well, like I said, it's if you get that online course written and out there and and advertised in the right way, you're going to make a million dollars because <laughs> there's enough people hurting. And and like I said, um, I've known so many people that their student loan debt was the biggest amount of their debt that was mm -hmm. really causing some problems, but they thought they couldn't bankrupt it. And I really wonder, too, if many of uh, attorneys, it's just something we've heard. And so they haven't done enough study to even understand that that is a possibility, let alone, you know, how feasible it is in their own practice, for sure. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Well, I'd love to hear more about your upcoming book. We kind of touched on it. Um, it's called Shun Student Loans. Does it have a subtitle on that? Get the education you need for the life you want. Okay. Because Our not everybody wants the same kind of life. As I say, my brother-in-law had he had a he had a wonderful big life working on big projects, and he had a high school education. But he had so he had the right education of being an iron worker in New York at the right time, and and that was what he needed. And and I that's the thing is people need different types of education to get the the life that they want. Well, and sadly, we're shunning the students for the style of education that they do want. Do you know what I mean? I mean, some of these tradesmen come out and they feel horrible about themselves, but that's really something they want to do. Do you know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. we've shunned that for so long. So I love the title of your book of Shun mm -hmm. Student Loans. It's great. So mm -hmm. do you want to give us maybe three key points about the message? And we've discussed um, some of the things, but what are some other topics you'll find there? I think one of the things that I stress in the book is make make a plan and and I actually encourage people to make a short-term plan not a long-term plan because young people especially I mean there's so much pressure oh what are you gonna where are you gonna go to college what are you gonna major in what are you gonna do and it's like maybe you ought to just make a plan for the next three to six months for the next three to six months I'm going to work at this job for the next three to six months I'm going to journal every day for the next three to six months, I'm going to save this amount of my paycheck. You know, just make a plan like that, just a short term plan. But don't start doing things. Don't start going to college. Don't start doing things. Don't start taking on debt without a plan. And and especially and I've got a whole chapter kind of devoted to this book is how to begin to think about making a plan and how to make that plan in steps. Because I think the, the biggest thing is from coming out of high school is that there's a whole big bad world out there. And what do you do next? Yeah. Well, and my son, when he graduated high school, um, we talked about the pre I was feeling the pressure for him. People automatically, I mean, as soon as you're, you're at the graduation, like, okay, what's your plans now? And <laughs> <laughs> there's just so much pressure. Like, well, I just graduated. I just came from a place where people were still telling me if I could go to the bathroom or not. <laughs> you want me to, you know, tell you the rest of my plans, you know, type of yeah. thing. So. And in Europe, they have a thing called the gap year where they let that person kind of just explore life a little bit. There's a lot of travel involved and they, you know, go and see places before they really settle down in what they want. And I think that's smart that sometimes just taking a step back helps you develop that plan. 
I think so too. And I think on that note in Europe also, of course, they have a lot of internships. And I think if you think that you might be interested in something, see if you can get some kind of job working in that area, preferably in a paid position, because that will actually give you a much better sense of what's going on. But a few years ago, I met a young woman who had just graduated with her degree in hotel management. And I asked her, well, you working for a hotel? I'm thinking we're in Atlanta. There's a lot of great hotels here. And she said, no. She said, you know, I just realized after I graduated that everybody in the hotel business has to work holidays and, and weekends all the time. Ooh. I'm thinking you, <laughs> you got a degree in the business and you didn't know that. A simple fact like that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and so I would encourage people to, to really really try to find the opportunities if they think that they're interested in something um, to to try and find some opportunities to work in that area, but to try not to put so much pressure on themselves. I mean, I'll tell you and your listeners, when I graduated from high school, I was working in a waffle house, a waffle house, the night shift as a cook. Okay. And then I later went on and I went to law school and I worked at a big international law firm and I was actually quite successful there. So, <laughs> So my point is, is you can recoup, you can come back from, from some things that aren't so great and maybe not putting so much pressure on yourself there to do everything right during that transition year. That I think is, is a Critical. really important. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. So make a plan and if possible, do some sort of internship in a direction you want to go. I think those are very wise counsel. Is there anything else in that book that we haven't covered? Oh, I think there there are a lot of things in there. As I say, one of the really, I think, best chapters on it, because I worked with some financial aid officers on that, is really breaking down, understanding how financial aid works and really give people some good questions to ask a financial aid officer so they're not so much in the dark about uh, if they do decide to go, they actually have a better understanding. They can ask some good questions and they can always ask for more money. They can always ask for more grants. I, I don't think people realize enough how negotiable those financial offerings by the colleges are. And so that's an important key element is is to know that that's that's a the number yeah yeah, the the number they say is not necessarily the number that they will hold to well and aren't there a lot of student grants out there or scholarships i should say that kind of go i mean people don't even apply for them anymore and is that part of your book too or where you talk about the alternatives there are some great scholarship organization that that will list all of the scholarships available in the United States from the $500 Lions Club kind of scholarship and this, you know, the, the various and sundry scholarships that are available. One of the challenges with the scholarships is so many of the universities, not all, but many of the universities will offset the scholarship dollars that you have versus the grant funds they were otherwise going to offer you. So scholarships, while they can be great and they may actually serve to defer or to help you avoid a significant amount of tuition, you have to be mindful of how they're going to be treated by the university because if the university just treats that as another source of cash for them, oh, now we don't have to give you this in Pell Grant because you got that in scholarship, but you still have to take out this much in loans. They can be good. There's some really good resources. I wouldn't say don't use them, but you have to know what the university or the college may do with them, and you have to be prepared to fight to not lose other money because you've done the work to get this additional scholarship money. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. That's a good point for sure. So. Oh, great. Okay. So with all the mentoring that you've done with other people and and the study that you've done in these areas, what are some other things that you've learned that we haven't talked about? I think the, the biggest thing that I have learned and that I would dissuade people from is this normalization of debt. And as someone who is, as you put it earlier, more experienced, I can tell you this is a new world. This is a new world, this normalization that people would have these large debts and that they would go go through lives with these large, taking on these large debts. That is a really recent phenomenon. And I don't think it's sustainable. 
when I was growing up, people put, still, I don't even know if people know what this is, well, put things in layaway. You didn't have a store credit card. You paid on time on something at the store until you had paid it off and then you were able to pick up the merchandise. So this this idea sort of, of well, I'll just get credit and I'll have 0% credit or 1% or 2% credit. This, I, I, I can't overemphasize how abnormal that is and it's bound to end badly. I'm sure of it. Yeah. Well, and <laughs> I, I mean, we we talked about our national debt, twenty one trillion dollars. <laughs> people have no idea sometimes where that money comes from. You know, I mean, in the government realm, there's just mm-hmm. no. I mean, we as Americans are just horrible at that anyway. You know, of really delaying that gratification. I mean, like our grandmothers used to do. You know, it was it mm-hmm. was not uncommon for them to have that rainy day fund that they kept, you know, a bunch of cash on hand just in case. And we are, we can't even, what they say that the average person can't even come up with $500 for an emergency. Mm-hmm. That is a very small amount of money that mm-hmm. we, you know, we can't come up with that cash. It all goes and ends up being uh, this uh, perpetual cycle of debt, you know, because those emergencies come and we are already used to debt. So we put it on our card or, you know, another form of credit and, just makes a sick cycle. And I will, you know, I will say one thing that I, that I think that people don't realize with about this with the savings. And this is something that I talk about in the book because I really people don't understand how valuable the, their early savings are. And one of the calculations that I did was suppose instead of going to college for four years, suppose you earned minimum wage for four years and you saved half of your pre-tax earnings for four years. You lived at home with your parents and you saved half of it. And that was worked out to be, say, $45,000. If you put that $45,000 in a tax deferred account and you didn't touch it and you just let it earn 7% interest until you retired, when you retired at 65 years old, that would be worth $950,000. If you didn't put another dime in it, if all you did was save half of your pre-tax earnings at minimum wage for four years when you're a young person, it will be nearly a million dollars by the time you're ready to retire. And, And so this thing that instead, and I don't think people have any conception of that, that, well, instead of taking a saving now, I'm taking on this vast debt and I'm going to start saving much, much later in life. It's going to be much harder yeah. to accumulate, accumulate wealth is, yeah. is what it is. And, and that again is, it's one of those things that I try to talk about in the book using some pretty simple examples that it, you know, grew out of my experience of working with people who, you know, took out loans, ran businesses, amortized loans, this sort of thing that we really thought in terms of, What's it going to take to pay this back? What if I had this money today invested? What would and that sort of thing? And I wow. try to use try to use examples that are simple and straightforward, and and clear, so that people can say, "Oh, wow! So I could have all of that if I only did this now." And so that's that's yeah. I think is an important aspect to the book because I, when when you really start running the numbers on that, I you know I mean that's an astonishing amount of money to think well. If I did this for four years now, you mean I could have nearly a million dollars later and I didn't have to do anything else except not spend it? Yeah. <laughs> well, and and that's really um, some of the difference of, I mean, we talked about trade schools versus going to, sco- going, to uh, going to school is a lot of the trade schools, even if they come out making less, if they don't have that debt, that's actually a gain in what they can spend their money on. I mean, if you come out with a lot of debt, sometimes you're handcuffed to something that maybe you don't want to do. Is that mm-hmm. is that part of the? That's great. Oh, I, I think it it very it very much is. And of course, I don't. I mean, there's just so many scary aspects to it. I mean, one of the things now that some of the states are doing is starting to pull people's professional licenses if they fall into default. So if you have a nursing license or an architectural license or a license to practice law some of the states are pulling people's license to practice and so you're really in a double whammy you've gotten an expensive degree on the theory that you're going to have substantial earnings which may or may not be true uh, but you're going to in order to pay back your debt you fall in default and 
then your license to practice in your business gets suspended. So Wow. Well, and I know if you have bad credit, many times uh, companies will do a background check on you before they hire you. And if you have bad debt, that can also decrease your chances for uh, for getting a, a good job, too. So. Oh, wow. Debt makes mm-hmm. a big difference. Well, I'd love to hear, like, we talked about what a young person can do to end up with a million dollars, but what mm-hmm. habits do you feel like in personal life can help people be more successful, especially if we shun these student loans? <laughs> I'm big on character myself and, and, and honesty and responsibility. My, my son, who is, as I say, just a, a wonderful young person, and when he was a child, he was... He was so physically beautiful. We had our paper or our new picture appear in at least four or five newspapers and magazines because people would see me out with him. And he was such a gorgeous child. And, and he was really, really sweet and, and fun. But every once in a while, I would look at him and I would say to him, charm is not character because it's not. And being able to, to how should we say, slide by with things or to bully your way through things or, or something character. I think mm-hmm. character is the most important thing that we can have as human beings, a sense of being honest in our dealings with others of doing our best. Well, and I think that's interesting. Uh, Dave Ramsey always talks about how um, people that on that higher pay scale, you know, in the million dollar status, one of the things that sets them apart is that they have very high integrity. You know, that's that's one thing. I mean, we, we kind of have a bad rap about millionaires and whatever, but most of the people that are at that level are there because of their high integrity more so than their earning potential. Mm-hmm. For sure. Mm-hmm. Character makes a big difference. And sadly, that's part of the whole credit thing, too. Um, sometimes I've um, my husband and I talk about this, that, you know, when we're willing to, you know, take out. I, I know a lot of people that will take out a loan and then they don't care if they repay it or not. You know, which I mean, sometimes we fall in hard times or whatever, but these are purposeful mm-hmm. people that and that's a that's a sign of character of a weak character, too. You know, of mm-hmm. of wanting to make let's make decisions that. Uh, speak high of our character and not decisions because everyone tells us that's what we've got to do. And if it doesn't work out, we'll, we'll do this or that. Even though we talked about bankruptcy, you know, it's definitely, right. and, and you know, I, the goal is to repay it. it. It absolutely is. And as I say, I mean, I, I think, and we'll talk about that. And I, and I hope to have some people on who've used Dave's program because I think Dave has a great program. And, and, and I think that the, the people at Student Loan Hero give you great tips for dealing with your student loans. They have tons of good information there. That is the best approach when that's possible. And, and you need to start there and say, can I make this work? Then we're going to realize, no, given all the money that was given to people without regard to their ability to repay, there are going to be a significant number of people who are going to need to file bankruptcy. Yeah. Not a few, a significant number. Yeah. Well, I could give you one of those stories for sure. <laughs> we, were, we were right there. So, uh, but we, we repaid mm-hmm. it. So great. Yeah, give us some long-term goals that you have for yourself and how that's working into your legacy, you know, with your podcast and this book and things that you want to help other people with. Honestly, I want to be part of the group of people that change the educational paradigm. And I think, having a significant number of people bankrupt debt that they're not going to be able to pay. It's going to pull the plug on that flood of money that is coming into education of dubious value. And so I know there are a lot of people working in this arena. I mean, there are, as we talked about, there are people providing great alternatives. I think that's wonderful. There are certainly some colleges and universities that are still providing a wonderful education I think that's great. I don't think that anything that I do or other people do are going to impact their ability to deliver a great education. But I think one of the things that needs to happen is the flood of money into educational programs of dubious merit needs to end. And I think that by showing people how that debt can be bankrupted, that that will 
Oh yeah. Facilitate that process. <laughs> yeah, colleges if if people more people bankrupted or if there's more alternative situations, it will make colleges kind of wake up and go, "Okay, do we want to end up I mean cuz if it's a government student loan, they're going to come back to the colleges and go, "Wait a minute, you know, how is this happening?" and you know, I think that that it just would increase the accountability for what's going on in our nation among the consumers, among the people participating for sure. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely right there with you. I get that. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. great. And that's why I would love to help you spread this message of how you can do this for sure. So before we say goodbye, do you have any final parting uh, words for our listeners? And then give us your contact information, how we can find your book and your podcast. Okay, well, great. If I have some parting words, I think this is an exciting time for education. As I say, I grew up in a world where people went to libraries and pulled down big books and took notes. And the idea of the vast array of things that one can learn online and the vast array of information that is available, very great deal of it for free, is just exciting to me. I think that's a a wonderful thing, and I don't think that's going to go backwards. And so I, I'm, I'm real happy to be part of that. And if people want to reach out to me, uh, my book site is, is up now. Certainly I'm going to, going to be pushing to get that book out here very soon. As I say, it's with the page layout editor right now. And that is at shunstudentloans.com. People can sign up for an email list there. Uh, Fit Institute is going to be up here very soon. And we're going to have uh, podcasts initially just talking about the sort of the world of debt and student loans particularly, and then later interviewing students who have used different educational alternatives, students who've repaid debt, students who haven't been able to repay debt, and lawyers who are dealing with debtors both on the debtor and the creditor side. Well, that's great. And probably by the time this publishes, I would imagine all those sites, your your book will probably definitely be out and your podcast um, website will be up and running for sure. Um, Again, we've been and and I'm so excited. I believe the same things you do that we are on. We are at an exciting part of education and it's just taking the time to change some people's paradigms about what that looks like for sure. Again, we've been chatting with podcaster and author Rose McConnell. Her forthcoming book is Shun Student Loans with the subtitle, Get the Education You Need for the Life That You Want. The website to check out that book is um, shunstudentloans.com. Like she said, you can sign up to be on an email list for that and really get some help in that way. You can find her podcast at fit.institute. However, we will be sure to link all the information that we've discussed today on our website as well. But thank you so much, Rose, for coming on and helping to light our minds on fire on this really important topic of shunning student loan debt. I appreciate it. Thank you, Rebecca. I enjoyed our conversation too. Thank you for listening to The Luminous Mind. Music featured in this episode from Scott Holmes. To learn more about our podcast, check us out at theluminousmind.net.